You're listening to Filling the Storehouse Podcast. I'm David. And I'm Stuart. And we want to walk with you on the journey to living the abundant life through faith, family, and freedom. Our goal is to refine our why while helping you find yours. Together, achieve our best and highest purpose. In the end, we'll drive each other to intentionally fill our storehouse. Storehouse listeners, what's up? Hey, this is Stu. And um, have you guys read a book called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill? If you haven't, you really should. There's a a concept in it that he talks about called the mastermind alliance. And um, he says it as uh, it's a friendly alliance with one or more persons who will encourage one to follow through with both plan and purpose. And um, this concept has been around for a long, long time. Napoleon Hill wrote the book a long time ago, but it's something that, uh, you know, really, really helps uh, push you uh, support you and helps you grow. And so um, I uh, helped create a war room, the War Room Mastermind group about two and a half years ago. And I have found so much um, fulfillment through this group. And I wanted to tell you about it. If you're in the military, past or present, veteran, reservist, National Guard, um, and you're interested in real estate and business, uh, I, I highly encourage you to check this out. Uh, it's a, a group of, of individuals who are seeking uh, to find their highest and best. And um, I've seen so much growth uh, through through members of this group. It's been incredible. I mean, a mastermind group, it really is about creating deep and lasting connections, um, challenging yourself, um, finding accountability partners, just brainstorming with people, getting feedback, getting support. Um, really uh, focusing and, and finding clarity and uh, helps you really make better decisions. Um, I tell you, like I've seen some of our members go from doing zero real estate deals to syndicating, you know, hundred unit apartment complexes, um, guys that have uh, started with just, you know, one or two rental properties that are now taking over and being the CEO of multi-million dollar businesses um, it, it's amazing. So if, uh, if this sounds interesting to you, Hey, give us a shout. Um, best way to get in touch and start the process is, uh, send an email to wrmastermind at gmail.com. Again, wrmastermind at gmail.com. We'd love to have you. We'd love to have you join this tribe. And, uh, yeah, you know, um, there's a book called Tribe of Millionaires, and then it says the right people reveal your richest source of power. I, I can't agree more. Um, so go uh, check it out. Send us an email. And uh, most importantly, go fill your storehouse. Enjoy the episode. I'm ready. See you. Okay, here we go. It's recording. Everybody it is knows recording. It. What's up? I don't everybody? think they can hear it, Stu, because you kind of make a big deal about it at the beginning of every show. But I'm pretty sure like when you hit record and it asks us or tells us that I yeah. don't think everybody on the podcast can hear that. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I, I mean, just, I'll just stop announcing it. Yeah. yeah. Just a thought, man. You don't even have to even cover it anymore. Cause it's, yeah. it's uh yeah, they got it. Okay, fine. Um, Rourke, no, what's up, man? Your intro. How you doing, man? Good. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. It's great to see you. Yeah, you too. Um, for, for everyone that's listening, Hey, this is filling the storehouse podcast. I'm sure you know that because you're listening to the podcast right now. Um, but, uh, we, we have uh, a special guest today, Rourke Denver. Um, we served together for a little while. He, uh, he's 
a lot tougher than me and way more uh, grizzly and manly than me, but uh, he, we served in, in Denver together at, at the, the reserve center. Um, happy, and happy. You, you literally like realize that our listeners Rourke could be anybody in the world right now. Yeah. <laughs> with that intro, right? Like yeah. tougher, more manly, like it could be anybody. <laughs> uh, there's only a few Rourke numbers. One of them. Um, awesome. Yeah, man. Um, Rourke. So um, if you could tell us a little bit about who you are, your background, yeah. and, and then um, man, let's get into it. I, I want to talk about yeah. lots of stuff. Um, Sounds good. Sounds good. No, my pleasure. Um, yeah, grew, grew up in the Bay Area, California, kind of before it was crazy. You know, it was just like a normal place to grow up with apricot orchards and normal schools. You didn't realize that down the street they were building the stealth fighter and computers and the tech world would explode. And eventually, you know, the house that seemed totally modest and you'd get for $150,000 in the 80s would be $4.9 million uh, in the mid 2000s. And it, it just turned into, you know, absolute looney tunes up there but but uh but, but i i you know had a great upbringing there real close family um athletics were definitely kind of my grounding you know strong suit i always had tremendous intellectual kind of curiosity and i loved to read i hated school um, so i really wrestled in school as far as a place that i i felt comfortable um and it was really just grinding through whatever six seven periods to get to uh to get to a field or a pool to work out so i played played water polo which is a big california sport and and lacrosse and and then my um my senior year junior year, i went back to syracuse which is where my i've got a lot of family history in new york my dad and mom and my grandfather on my mother's side all went to syracuse so you, you, the school you kind of your dad and parents went to particularly if they're big sports schools kind of school you grew up you know, rooting forward. So Syracuse has always been kind of a big, um, I guess, name in our family history, but I never had any, any, any intention of going East. I, I thought for sure I was going to stay, stay home in California and play water polo. And then I played lacrosse. I went back East to a camp at Syracuse. And the next thing you know, I'm getting recruited to play at Syracuse. And in that era, Syracuse was an absolute superpower, you know, in the hunt for a championship every year. And, and um, you know, the coach was like, hey, you're a little behind, uh, probably just experience-wise. So I only played three years in high school. They said, you're probably a little behind experience-wise, but you're big and fast and, you know, the type of type of athlete that could play in Division One, and we'd love to have you. And uh, it was just incredible, incredible, you know, kind of meant to be hand at play bringing me there. It was very, very cool. So I played played four years there. We won the national championship a couple of times I was there. And, and uh, you know, was a captain and All-American my senior year. And then I really had no idea what I wanted to do next. I, I, I never had a calling um, with any specificity towards the military or really anything else. I didn't, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I like playing rough. I like getting adventures. And um, I felt like I had a mind that I could throw at a lot of different things, but I, I did not know what that was. And as I said, I'm a big reader and I was reading um, Winston Churchill's My Early Life, which is, you know, the great British statesman wrote this autobiography about his life, um, really capturing the first 30 years of his life. So kind of his young life, which is why it's called My Early Life. Um, I read that in the fall of my senior year. And that book was like, a lightning bolt to service. It really was a calling that, um, you know, serving in the military and kind of earning my seat at the table and cutting my teeth as a leader uh, and really deserving what we enjoy here, military service be the right place to do that. So I did a bunch of research and um, I, th I think I finally found one book that had four or five vignettes about, you know, Green Berets and Rangers and uh, Army long range reconnaissance guys and Air Force. And then there's a little, little uh, chapter on SEALs because there just was almost nothing new about it at, in that era. But I think somewhere in there, it said 80% of the people that show up don't make it. And that sounded like the right spot for me. So, uh, 
Yeah, I walked into a recruiter's office in Syracuse, New York, and said, "I want to be a, I want to be an officer, and I want to be a SEAL." And you know, once the the chuckles kind of settled because they're like nobody ever gets in, um, we drew up the paperwork, and they weren't wrong. My first application didn't get accepted, and um, it was. Uh, I always think that's a good thing. I think failures, you know, one of our best. Um, sources of fuel. So, I mean, I, I didn't skip a beat. I assumed the day I got the letter, I, I started working out hide, harder and figured out a way to, you know, improve that application package. And it was, you know, 12 years later that I was sitting on that selection board as a SEAL and I finally got it. You know I mean? Like when I didn't get in, I was kind of, I mean, I don't think that highly of myself, but my, I put in that package. I was an all American team captain, had won two national championships. I had good grades. I smoked the PT test. It's like, who are they taking? <laughs> like, yeah. I, I feel like I did everything I was supposed to do. And um, and then I reapplied and got picked up immediately. And then again, when I sat that board, you know, there's just more qualified people than will ever fill those seats. You know, we send we send those letters to guys every year. I guarantee you they're just scratching their head as to why, um, you know, the doors didn't open for them. But if you stay persistent, you know, you got a good good shot. That's what we're looking for. And, and um you know, the rest was history. It was just an unbelievable window of time to enter the um, the SEAL teams and special operations. I got, you know, about a deployment and a half pre-9-11. The 9-11 happened when I was deployed. And and then I got to chase bad guys for a decade, you know, a little more. And then, then uh, so I did 13 active duty years, uh, almost 14. And then I transitioned to the reserves because I uh, I like my bride and I like my kiddos. And I want to be around them. And I, I'd, I'd sort of done everything I wanted to do. I mean, I, I I every once in a while have moments where I'm like, man, you know, you need the good guys to go forward, particular to be, you know, commanding officers and senior leaders. But um, I, I just I felt like I'd done the things I want to do within the organization. And at the tail end of that time, um, we've got put on orders to make this movie Act of Valor, which was very strange to make what we thought was going to be a recruiting film that go to the bottom of a Walmart DVD bin. And <laughs> next thing you know, it's the number one movie in America. And it, it kicked open some doors. So it was it was a neat intersection in that I'd gone back to grad school in San Diego. I knew I was ready to do something else. And then um, I was very early in the book world. You know, now it's almost become a punchline with how many, you know, SEALs and special operators have written books. But I, I was in the, I don't know, first two or three. And, and, and it was honestly, it, it, it truly was, um, it felt like a full circle paying it forward. You know, a book had kind of launched my career, felt like I had something to talk about. And I like, um, you know, history and philosophy and thinking and, and, and uh, you know, had the opportunity to be a, a full-blooded meat-eating warrior. So I kind of got to blend all those those things together. And, and, and that was the, the impetus for the book. And it's been fun. I mean, several years later, I mean, I've, I've probably had a couple hundred young men that have been like, Hey, I read your book. I, 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 I signed up and was ready to serve. And that's a pretty neat thing to figure you've done something that might've lit a spark or uh, nudge somebody in a direction. And then uh, now post Navy. And then that's when you and I linked up Stu at the reserve center. So I could yeah. finish off my time, which was um, as much as every once in a while, you want to beat your head against the wall, going from the active side to the, the reserve side. I found a really good home there. I mean, I love mentoring young folks there and, you know, the Marines were down the hall from us. So I'd scoot down there and talk to, you know, young, young uh, ground pounders that were going to go out and do the job. And, and so I enjoyed that. And then all throughout that, I do a lot of speaking, consulting on leadership, culture, high performance teams, uh, a lot of keynote addresses and things like that. And then um, a couple other new irons in the fire. So uh, yeah, man, it's been, it's been a great adventure and uh, we'll see what's next. Man. So, so you don't really, you're not really a high achiever. Have a lot on your plate. Yeah, I'm a sit around guy. Sit yeah, around. you just like to sit on the couch and watch yep. uh, binge TV. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of curious because when someone, you know, when someone myself uh, included, listen to all the stuff that you do and the way that you manage to, uh, 
um, you know, just always moving forward and, and something new, something different and significant, huge impact. How, how does, how'd you start that? Like what yeah. like you're with the teams and you decide, well, I want to write a book one day or I want it like what I just, I would love like the kind of the thought process and the action items to get, you know, because sure. it didn't all happen at once. I'm sure. No, definitely not. I mean, I, I think it, it certainly predated all my time in the military. And I think that's the case for a lot of us. I, I, I think we're, you know, not fully baked, but pretty well cooked, you know, in a certain type of point of time through adolescence, right? And probably up until when you get in college, and there's still a tremendous amount to learn. But I think a tremendous amount of the elemental stuff had already been baked in. I, I, I come from a super disciplined, um, very regimented, intelligent and aggressive, focused father. And I come from a super, super dreamer, artistic, uh, almost like bohemian style mom. So those two those two traits were real interesting, I think, for both my brother and I in that we had this ability to say, OK, this is the work you need to do to accomplish a task. And oh, by the way, there's nothing that's impossible so I can accomplish any task. So that's kind of a neat alchemy of, yeah, of, of, awesome. of ammunition to kind of take into the fight. And then I think athletics have just really been um, I don't know, man. It's just been the foundation of just about everything. I mean, when I think of SEALs, I really just think of kind of elite athletes and thinking shooters that are out there on the battlefield. Not everybody is an actual elite athlete. We can teach you to do the things we do um, without you being, you know, a division one athlete or that stuff. But a lot of those people do gravitate towards that job. And I think the things I took from that that lead to what you're talking about are and look, there's all different types of mindsets and, and kind of um, mentalities when it comes to athletes. But I, I always very much liked practice. I liked preseason when it was at its hardest. I liked, you know, grinding it out day to day to get to that game on Saturday. And then, you know, you play that game and I was always a forget that game. The next game's the one that counts, you know, and, and uh, uh, you know, you're only good as your last last performance, you got to keep moving it forward. And, and so I think that mindset very much helped me, you know, certainly in the SEAL teams, you, know, you go to SEAL training and it's, it's mythically hard. Um, it was just fun for me. I liked the intensity of it. I, I knew it was going to be horrible all the way through and I knew where I wanted to be. I wanted to be at the teams. And that's, that's a big dividing line. You'll see people that come there to test themselves. That's the right the wrong mindset to come to our program. If you're coming to test yourself, go do an Ironman or something like that. There's other ways to test yourself. You come do what we do. You better be damn sure certain you're going to, you're going to be a frogman at the end of it. And so I had that in mind. So any, any crucible or anything they threw in front of me, I just was like, I'm going through it, over it, around it. Uh, I'm coming up passed out in the pool. If I, I give max effort, whatever it takes. And so I, I think it was just more of a kind of practice and a mindset of just keep grinding, keep fighting. And then that carried, uh, I think myself and certainly my teammates extremely well on the battlefield. I, I think one of the reasons um, any warrior does well on the battlefield and certainly at the unit level is when you have a group of folks right and left that you know are not going to give up. I mean, if you got that, all the rest of it comes down to, you know, some pretty simple X's and O's and some good, you know, creative thought at times. But if you know nobody around you going to quit and you're not going to quit, you can go pretty far. You can go pretty far. So I think it was that stuff that built towards all the others and, uh, and just not looking back a lot, you know, just what, what's the next chapter I can write. So how does, I feel like I need to go PT right now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I've, I've, I've heard you, you know, speak publicly um, and, you know, you do such a great job of, of translating uh, military life uh, to, to business. And, mm -hmm. you know, out of the stuff that you just said, like, what do you think is kind of the, one of the, the prime reasons um, that that military members 
trans, you know, transfer well to being an entrepreneur. Yeah. What, what do you think that is? Sure. I mean, I, th- I think it's a lot of things, but I mean, I think the, mil- the military is this like world of contradictions, right? It's like, you're in this, um, you go to basic and it's like, they shave your head and you're in this white shirt and boots and pants, and they're teaching you how to fold your underwear and, and, and clean a toilet and, and then building up towards, you know, breaking a weapon down, shooting all these different things. And it, it feels all very rudimentary and basic, but what you realize you're developing these tremendous habits of excellence, of discipline, of focus, of teamwork, of taking care of your gear before yourself and thinking of others before yourself, all these, all these kind of elemental lessons about life um, are all baked in the military training. So I think people that, that look, there's a lot of people as, as, as everybody knows on, on this, this, uh, in this conversation that hate their time in the military. The funny thing is I've met a lot of those people post-military that miss the hell of it. They hated a lot of the days in it, but they miss, they miss the purpose. They miss the schedule. They miss the focus. And, and, and I've, I've found huge gaps in my game being out. I mean, I, I loved, I, I think what I've come to understand is I'm a pretty disciplined person. I'm a, I'm not an organized person. I, I don't like organizing schedules and, and, and kind of following schedules. I'm more of an artistic thinker. So a place where it was like, I get up at five, I drag a razor across my face at five 30 I'm PT and by six, we got O call at seven. You know I mean? That, that, that was perfect for me. Yeah. That was a perfect, perfect place where I could, I could be creative when I didn't have to think about a lot of the basic stuff. Consequently, when you leave, though, you're armed to do the basic stuff well. And, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of business folks try and do more than they need to. I think they try and get more dynamic and creative and, and capable when it's like, if you do the basics better than anybody else, you'll be exceptionally, exceptionally proficient in your job, which is not to say it's easy. I'm just saying it's simple. Do the basics really well and you'll, you'll, be, you'll be in good shape. You know, and we know this from the military. I mean, it's one of the weird things in the military where like, if you basically don't literally screw something up, you're probably going to glide through your career. Like you can screw something up major, you're in big trouble. Other than that, you don't even need to be that exceptional. Now in elite units, pretty quickly, the pyramid starts getting sharp and you got to compete. But in general, if you can just stay the course, do your job, learn your job and kind of, you know, advance up the line, you'll do well. I, I think the entrepreneurial space does take more, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm living in the entrepreneurial world and look, starting a business sucks. I mean, it's where the upside is, but I'm in it right now. And it's way easier to fall into, you know, an organization that's already got structure and, and um, backing and finance and all that stuff done. HR is there. I mean, you put me in charge of Home Depot or FedEx or, you know, United Airlines tomorrow. I'm, I, I'm pretty sure I can do that job staying on my head. You try and start a company on your own. You're in the trenches, man. You're in the trenches. Yeah. yeah. Well, how, how, I mean, so going from doing the basics well to being an elite organization like the Navy SEALs or an incredibly successful company where you're just crushing it. Like what, where's that line? Like, what's, what's the difference? What do you think? Well, I mean, maybe, maybe there isn't a difference. I mean, I think that's, I think people think like, you know, SEALs or you take the top operators of the world, Delta Force, SEAL Team 6, the top mission forces in the United States military, and therefore basically in the, in the world and maybe in history, that's what they do. They move, shoot, and communicate better than anybody else. I think people think they have special weapons and technology and gear. Everybody's got the same stuff in the military. We might have, you know, a piece of body armor that looks better or different. It's still going to stop bullets about the same rate. Our optics might be a little better because we got a better funding line, or maybe we got some extra lasers that go on our gun. That's just some of those things are just almost smoke and mirrors compared to still shooting well. And and yeah. so we really do just learn that basic skill set. Um, coupled with a tremendous amount of belief in ourselves. And that consequently just 
creates a confidence and kind of a, yeah, I'm not sure it's the right word, but almost a swagger or a style in the way our, 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 our teams carry themselves. And I think other units in the battlefield see it. You put a bunch of seals walking into a chow hall or walking onto a battlefield and people are like, there's something going on over there and can't really exactly put their hands on it. And um, I really do think a big part of it is, is almost an irrational belief in our abilities. And then, you know, you pump each other up thinking that way and you're probably going to perform pretty well, but you don't see any of the top performers don't believe they can beat everybody. I mean, you never, yeah. like, I don't think Michael Jordan or all the top people ever were like, Oh, I'm probably going to get my ass handed to me today. They're like, I'm going to go beat you. And if you beat me, I'm going to work twice as hard to beat you next time. And that's kind of the, kind of the way we bring bring ourselves to the fight and I, I i try and do that in in my my post-military life that's like look if i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it well and um put the time in and grind yeah that's that's awesome it reminds me of a uh, i can't remember where i heard it but it was a fighter was they asked if he ever thought he was gonna lose he's like why would i get in a fight if i thought i was gonna lose yeah and he had lost uh, a number of occasions but you know that just that mindset and which kind of goes yeah. into my next question for you is I mean, you, you clearly ha- are very intentional with your mindset, with things you do with your, uh, maybe not necessarily the organization of, uh, of your schedule, but you're very intentional. You sound like you're extremely intentional. And, and I'm curious from a mindset perspective, like what are you doing to develop that kind of mindset? Yeah. I mean, I think one, it's just a tremendous amount of practice. I mean, I, I you know, I, I did that, like I said, through athletics and then you know, 20 years in the SEAL teams or in the military. And that's a, that's a lot of time to be practicing a discipline, a regimented way of kind of looking at the world, looking at your, you know, schedule and kind of performance within it. So I guess if I stopped, I'd, it'd probably be more of a departure than trying to maintain it. Yeah. You know, it, it just is really kind of um, keeping that going. And, and look, I, I mean, it's, it, it is interesting times. I mean, I'm, I'm, closer to 50 than I'm further away from 50. And so when I train now, it hurts more and I don't recover as quick. And, you know, I, I, I think I could do things that I can't, but, um, I was going to say, man, you're starting to get a little gray up. You're starting to get oh, a little yeah, gray no, up. Tommy, but going. that's, you know, that's the wisdom. That's the wisdom. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, it's, you know, you, you just realize that if you stop, that's when you're in trouble. I mean, my, my dad's, you know, making his way towards 80 and he's still practicing law. He doesn't have to, he, he's, he's, made enough to retire long ago and he he wants to stay mentally sharp and active and after it and um for me it's a real lesson it's something that i want to just kind of keep grinding and banging away so um i I don't feel like i need to work hard i guess to develop my mindset i i think one of the strange things is you know from being in combat for big blocks of times and in kind of that very intense world sort of everything after is a little bit of a reduction. I mean, in some ways you got to figure out a way to shock the system a bit and push yourself because you've kind of played at a level of the game. You're like, well, I probably won't be hitting the same level of adrenaline or, you know, cortisol dump or whatever's going to hit, you know, based on, on that job. So you kind of have to find pursuits and way to ways to push yourself. But I do think that's why it translates so well, as you asked earlier, Stu, to the kind of business world is, is all the tenets of leadership and culture and teamwork in my mind, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, Chick-fil-A, Southwest Airlines, a small IT firm or elite military organization, all the principles remain the same. The results and I guess the potential catastrophe is certainly way different, you know, and the, the, the um, you know, possibility of the, the train going off the tracks and it having the ultimate um, bad scenario unfolding. But the principles are all the same. And, and so I think that's why people seek out guys like us for their military experiences. Like, look, th- th- those, those people have done this under a level of duress. Few of us will see. Um, so it works for them. It's probably going to work for us. Yeah. It, there's a, uh, it reminds me of, of uh, 
of, of a story you told and, and I, I, you know, we'll, we'll uh, get your commander's coffee uh, kind of lessons. Um, and, and man, they're, they're awesome. Like every time, every time I, I watch one of them, listen to one of them, uh, I just get like really like fired up about, you know, Thank you. about our business. And one of the ones that you talked about um, not too long ago, it was kind of during the height of COVID was, was uh, changing your horizon, mm-hmm. you know, looking further than you need to, yes. um, to, to, to change how you're looking at things. And, and that goes right into this mindset idea of, of building a business and being elite in that. So um, if you could, man, like for our audience, for our listeners who haven't heard that story, do you mind just yeah. kind of giving like a, a synopsis of that? Yeah, no, it's not, it's not a long story. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I, I think I framed that for COVID in, that was probably March of when things were starting, yeah. you know, March, April. And, you know, I, I was hearing a lot of family and friends and people asking me my opinion. They're like, man, it, you think this thing's going to be done soon? And I said, I don't know. I mean, the thing that you learn again, you know, particularly like at seal trades, you think like after a couple thousand pushups, it will be ending soon and it won't, it'll just be more, or, you know, they'll <laughs> move on to something else. And so if you ever pegged, a, like, like tried to pin like, oh, this will be over in the next 50, you know, you, you, it'd be toxic because there's no way that's when it's going to end. It's going to end when it's going to end. And so I kind of told this story and the, the story was I showed up my first SEAL team, this pre 9-11. Um, we started running, um, I don't know, there's all new acronyms now, but you, you, you'd finish a workup and you do ORE's, operational readiness exercises to be ready to go and, and certified deploy. And so the way we ran at the team, um, again, pre 9-11 is two SEAL platoons, so about 20 guys each. We're running um, a myriad of different SEAL kind of mission sets in a training environment, but very much live fire, live scenario, lots of, um, you know, operational forces working against you. I mean, very, very, very high end kind of exercise over about seven days on a 24 hour cycle. I mean, you just catch a nap when you could. And so they would always throw more at you than you could achieve. So, I mean, you'd always be overtasked. And so my platoon, I was the, what's called the AOIC, the assistant officer in charge, officer in charge was running some assault or something like that. So myself and another junior officer got tasked with doing a um, over the beach operation. So bringing, you know, the classic rubber Zodiac ashore, doing a reconnaissance and then either doing an assault or coming back. And so you, you know, like you guys know this, but you kind of base all your movement, particularly at night on weather and the, you know, the moon cycle and, and time and distance and all these things to make sure you can, you can be clandestine and sneak, sneak ashore. And we're sneaking ashore on SEAL, you know, trainers. So, I mean, you're not going to, they're not going to give you anything. And so I think we launched our, our Zodiacs, call it 10 miles out, eight, eight miles out off, off the coast. We come in, we do our, our, our reconnaissance, everything goes well. We come back in. I remember as we're done cleaning the gear, somebody runs down, is like, Hey, Rourke and one of our, my, my teammates, the, the skipper wants to see it. Commanding officer wants to see it. So we go running down to his office. He's like, have a seat boys. And he said, uh, so, you know, talk me through the night's events. So we kind of explained everything that happened. And he's like, great. What'd you learn? And, you know, both of us knew he, he probably had an answer in mind. I'm like, shit, I don't know what he wants to know right now. I was like, well, I learned, you know, the gas consumption, this. I'm, I'm just going through the X's and O's. And my buddy came up with nothing better than that. And he's like, all right, um, that's not what I'm looking for. So you'll do the same evolution tonight. Oh, man. Now, instead of 10 miles, you're doing it at, uh, at 20 miles or 30 miles, <laughs> double the distance. So you're like, okay, great. So we go do it again. And now it's like, you know, those boats don't go that far. So you're kind of like, all right, do we not have enough fuel bladder to get there? We do it, come back in, exact same scenario, give them all the X and O's. He says, what do you learn? 
And I'm like, oh boy, now I'm like beating my head against the wall because I don't have a better answer. And I, I was thinking about it all night. I, I didn't have a better answer. He's like, great, do it from 60 miles. 60 miles. He's like, double it. So now we got to take ribs, you know, big boats, put our Zodiacs on top of those boats, have those transit us into, you know, call it 15 miles, get those out in Chesapeake Bay and then come in ashore. It's freezing. It's February. And I remember somewhere on that transit, I was like, I'll tell you what, man, 10 miles is a lot easier than 60 miles. And so then it pings in my head. And, and so we, we get done with our op, we go in and we, we're talking to the boss and no way am I telling like my buddy, I, I think I might have the answer though. And I'm all, <laughs> only hoping I do, but he's like, all right, what'd you learn? And my buddy's kind of got deer in the headlights. And I was like, well, sir, I don't know if this is what you're looking for, but I can tell you right now, I learned two things tonight. One, 10 miles is a hell of a lot easier than 60 miles. But now I know I can do it from 60 miles, stand on my head. I could probably do it from 120 miles out. He's like, Roger that. You're going on to air operations. Get out of here. He's like, cool. That's what I want you to learn. I want you to push this horizon out further than you expected and planned. Make it harder than it will most likely be in the real world. And then when it hits, you're already kind of inoculated to it being hard. And so I think on that post, I kind of said, hey, on this COVID thing, I mean, move this thing out months, three months, a year. Little did I know how right I was going to be. But but yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. kind of like, hey, before it ends, like, don't, don't put an end line on it. You'll just torture yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what, a, what an incredible lesson. I'm, I'm glad you guys finally came up with the answer before uh, 120, maybe been, 200, 240. It would have been bad. It would have been bad. <laughs> it been yeah. bad. Yeah. No, I, I think that's, uh, I think that's an incredible, you know, way to approach this. Cause you know, and it, we see it in real estate too. You know, we'll have some people call and they'll be like, Hey, what do you think with the market thing? And I'm like, man, you know, and, and my answer is always, my standard answer is always, look, you, you do what you can today. There's no better time than the present to take action. And yeah. anybody who tells you they know what tomorrow brings is full of shit. All right. It, right. I mean, right. I mean, if, if, if it's in the Bible that it says that you don't know what uh, tomorrow brings, only the father knows like it, yeah. that that's good enough for me. No doubt. Right? So, um, no doubt. you know, I, I think that's an awesome story to illustrate that though. And yeah. And, uh, yeah. I'm glad you had to learn it that way. And I, I didn't. Yeah. Know. Right. <laughs> well, it, 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 it's fired me up to, to look at um, not, not only our, our, our business and like how we're like creating our mindsets to push and like push farther than what we thought we could do, but also like even just, you know, in family life and personal life, like I'm going to just push myself to go do hard things. Yeah. And, and if I can go do these really, really hard things that I could probably like, do the easy stuff too you know right everything um, everything short of that starts becoming a cakewalk when you when you go hard that's, yeah. that's for sure yep. and you know just like business starting a business you know like man this is probably going to be pretty hard but let's go let's go do it let's go give it a shot sure. Sure. um so I'm uh, i thank god for you know in, in our business right now we're we're in a challenging time and and i'll tell you i thank god because when you fast forward it and you look you know, nobody knows. I mean, who knows in 10 years, we could be completely broke and, and, you know, who, who knows, but it, I think there's a, a huge sense of hope one in the confidence in yourself that we've developed over all these years, but also the understanding that, that this day will pass, right. That, yes. that this challenge will pass. And, and, and I think the fact that what, you know, what Stu highlighted the way that you um, as a, as a teacher and an influencer that you frame that, to teach into a teachable moment and make it so easily understandable, I think is a huge gift. And, yeah. and it really goes into kind of my next question. Cause it, it strikes me that you, obviously you enjoy, um, you enjoy the element of teaching, you enjoy the element of stretching others, challenging others. And, and I'm kind of curious, like what's your target audience? Like when you've looked at 
at, at, at really, ref, you know, refining this element of who you are, do you have a target audience or is it just like, uh, Hey, I'm just gonna blast this to the world. Yeah. I mean, I hope it's shifting in some ways. I and mean, I think you go through seasons and, in, in you know, kind of how you teach and, um, who you want to impact with that teaching, you know, I'd say for the first, you know, call it five, eight years of kind of post-military life and speaking, it was very much the corporate space, much as anything, because they can, they can hit the bid on, you know, keeping the lights on at home and, and pay you for that work. Um, I'm gravitating or kind of drifting more away from kind of the keynote address and the, and the, and the sort of motivational speech. Although I like that a lot. Um, every time I get an opportunity to talk to young people, um, you know, entrepreneurs or people that are particularly starting something that that's where it gets exciting. So I, I would say, you know, I'm on a glide slope with when it comes to kind of the, you know, the corporate world. And um, I'd like to get away from just, you know, corporate corporation X pays to come do either this talk or this experience to where you can sort of sell tickets so you can get, so anybody can come and anybody from any demographic, any sex, you know, religion, race, whatever you come, if, if what I have to offer is interesting to you and, and you want your life, then you come hit it. And then my ultimate goal would be to get it to youth as much as anything. I, I just think I had great mentors and great, um, you know, examples of, you know, good men and strong men and great women as well. And, and I think, um, you know, I think most kids are now influenced by what's sitting on their iPhone and that, that gets a little scary and creepy pretty quick. So, um, so for me, if I can, if I can stick a flag in the ground and start working with young folks to either change their trajectory or, or give them some good concepts and ideas that I know work and are sound and, and will carry them to a good place, uh, that'd probably be the ultimate. So I think it's, it's kind of shifting. The sands are shifting as, as you're asking me the question. Is that, uh, is that what, what, what high ground is about? Talk to us about what yeah, high, high ground is. High ground, um, you know, I, I've been doing all these keynote addresses and usually a, a CEO or the executive team will come up and be like, man, that's one of the best speeches we've ever had. What else? You know, like what else can we do? And I haven't really had much of an answer. I've, I've taken a couple of friends, companies on a shooting, fighting, like adventurous kind of uh, experience. There's guys that really do like a full seal kind of mission profile thing. I don't have tremendous interest in that, but I think there's some more experiential stuff where you get a team out of their comfort zone, out of their home base. I mean, we could probably come to you and do it at, at your offices, but I really like them to come to a location that we've curated some challenges, some learning, um, some real introspection, some campfires with some special, special people and, and kind of get a team to come together and see the battlefield a little differently. Um, that, that, that's what high ground is looking to build. We also have some, some home security and some kind of personal resilience and, and kind of toughness and grit stuff being baked into it as well. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's in its infancy, but it'll be ready for prime time soon. So yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of a new project. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Yeah. That sounds fun. Uh, and then talk to us also about, um, you know, commander's coffee, commander's council, campfire sessions that, you know, that kind of stuff as well. Yeah. Yeah. People, um, if you want to find me, I mean, one of the things I, I, I finally, uh, created my own website, rourkedenver.com, just my first name, last name.com because same part and parcel with, I'd, I'd give this speech and they'd say, what else do you have? I had a whole bunch of people reaching out to me on social media or different platforms saying, you know, I'm, I mean, if my company doesn't bring you in, I'm never going to get to see a speech speak. It's not like you're, uh, you know, just out in the public sphere as much as, you know, like to have you there. So I want a little digital real estate to kind of have a spot to uh, interact with folks and they can come get a hold of my content. So I post, you know, almost all my podcasts there, you know, this will, this will live there. And then um, my commander's 
Council is a little bit more of a um, deeper dive, like with an executive team, a family, somebody wants to talk about principles of, of culture, leadership, teamwork, high performance, those things. We can curate an event for that. Um, we either do that around a campfire or at, you know, some event that they have. My uh, commander's coffee is kind of my monthly just freebie. So if you go to my website, bottom of the page, you sign up for my commander's coffee and I'll, I'll just have a thought a month. I don't try and beat people's inbox with every Tuesday or what I do. I do one every once in a while, eke out more than one. Um, but there's just so much content out of the world. I don't want to, uh, I don't know, I don't want to be white noise. So they're usually pointed about something I'm thinking about, a current event and some story, like, like, like I told about the changing your time horizon. I'll tell some story or some event that's moved me or I think is of value and, and just uh, sling it out there on video. So yeah, that's, that's a good place to find me in and a good place to book me if people want to book me for something greater. Yeah. That's awesome. Hey, talk to us a little bit about, you know, it's, it's present all over your website, but the ever onward. Yeah. Uh, well, you, you guys know from the military, I, I um, you know, the, the, the military correspondence, I actually think is, is really well designed. It's very purposeful and specific in the way you write a report to a letter to uh, email correspondence is, is somewhat, you know, bound by uh, somewhat, you know, code of, of discipline, the way you do that. So almost every email if you're the, you know, the senior person, you're going to finish it with very respectfully, usually the V capitalized slash lowercase yeah. R. If you're sending up the chain of command, it's going to be two capitals, like you really mean you respect the person and so <laughs> on. And there's, there was something about that that was just a little stale to me. So Stu would probably know this before I ever built it. I would put onward or ever onward on a lot of my email correspondence. And, and I think it was just this concept of, you know, for me on the battlefield, I, I never liked playing defense. I mean, every once in a while we had to because somebody did, uh, you know, get around on us or, or, or ambushed or took took a tactical advantage that we we missed or, or they just got the opportunity. And we'd very quickly move off that that X or off that hot spot and then try and take, uh, you know, take the high ground or take an advantage on them. But it was almost always the team that was advancing the ball, moving uh, into the fight and kind of pressing the action that ones this idea of onward and kind of pushing um, always made sense to me and kind of that as we talked about earlier that that outward looking um, let's drive to what's next so ever onward just kind of made sense and that's 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 where it was born from hmm. yeah that's really cool yeah. so I, I I wrote this down as a note because I went back and looked through another one of the of your commander coffees and I want you to hit on this because I think again like some of your points man is on these on these a brief little like five minute videos are just so spot on. And, and I think this one's spot on with me right now. And I think David is, is the same, but this, your, your video of, of, of looking at less and seeing more yeah. with respect to mastering time, because yeah. right now, every single day, I feel like my, like my head's about to explode. Yeah. Um, and again, like, man, talk to me about this concept of, of, of looking at less than seeing more. Yeah, this is one I learned in Afghanistan. So one of my early rounds of Afghanistan, we got tasked with a small team to go run what's called an SR, special reconnaissance. So I took four guys up in the mountains. Uh, we were looking down in this valley where they thought the Taliban was bringing some of those roadside bombs and launching assaults on this roundabout. You know, you've been over there. The roads are, you know, wide open in a lot of places, and they're very choked in some spots. Some of those spots you have to go through, they're choked. Uh, it's just a meat grinder. It's a very, very, um, you know, it's a nightmarish scenario if you have to drive through. So my team gets over there to do that. Our only job is trying to figure out where the Taliban's bringing arms and munitions into this little intersection. So the sun comes up 
and my lead sniper, who's to this day, one of my, one of my all-time best friends, um, immediately sees something. I mean, we had this massive piece of terrain, spotting scopes, binoculars, huge, 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 um, swat the terrain to look at, but he's like, Hey boss at, you know, about the 11 o'clock position on the clock, you know, from where we're sitting about 1200 meters out, I see a big goat herd and there's three or four goat herders tending to those, to that flock. Uh, let's mark it down. It takes me a little bit of time on binoculars to find 60 head of animals and, and this goat herd, but I finally see it. I log it down and we move on. About an hour later, he's like, look, in that dark timber, about 800 yards across this valley, I think I see a cache or a cache, a, a spot where the Taliban would, you know, put weapons, munition, water, food, a layup spot. It probably took five minutes for him to talk me into that what he was seeing you know i just what it was not popping to me it wasn't visually representing and and now i'm like irritated because he's seeing everything i'm not seeing anything it goes kind of quiet for a couple hours then right after you know afternoon you know after lunch is when those those boys like coming out to fight here he's like hey at the three o'clock position boss i see five military age males rpgs heavy weapons it's definitely a combat unit can we engage I call the uh, the senior Marine commander that we were actually working for. I was like, hey, can we we engage these targets? He's like, no, nah, I don't want them to know where you came from, but we'll push aircraft to you. So we, we actually had a couple of fast movers. Well, the only time I got to drop drop bombs off of fast movers, so we, 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 we ruined their afternoon regardless. But then we come <laughs> back to the base, we get everything cleaned up. You know, we instantly clean our gear before I even write my report. It's like gear gets cleaned, it goes on our racks, so we can launch our next mission like that when we're called to do it. And uh, I actually think I had gone in and spent some time with this Marine Colonel talking about what was next. I come in to clean my gear. My lead sniper's there. He's finishing up cleaning his gear. And I don't even say hi to him. I'm just like doing my stuff. He's like, what's going on with you? And I was like, I don't know. I'm a little irritated about that op. He's like, why is that? I was like, I don't know. We're both looking through the same power binoculars. You're seeing everything and I'm not seeing anything. And he's like, well, let me ask you something. Are you looking at that whole hillside? I said, of course I'm looking at the whole hillside. He's like, that's your problem. It's too much information. He's like, you got too much data to try and like figure out. You got to apply some order to that chaos. So put a grid or a pie chart, something that works for you. Then you can burn into these little sections and stuff will start popping on the hillside. You'll start seeing more. And I kind of, you know, somewhat took what he said, but I was still here to he goes walking out the door and I'll never forget it. I, I give him a hard time about this now. He says, boss, if you look at less, you'll see more. Drops the mic, walks out of the room. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> It was cool because it, it, it was actually a great tactical skill. I mean, I'm a hunter and outdoorsman. So I still, if I'm looking at a piece of terrain, I put a grid on it and start like burning in. And that's how I'll start finding things. But it really was even a better leadership kind of life lesson. It's like, particularly as leaders, which I think of everybody's a leader, because if you're not, you might not be leading an organization, but you're leading your life at a minimum. Um, we always have too much on our plate to get done in a single calendar day or a single afternoon or whatever you're putting towards it. I mean, you know, in the military, your, your inbox is always far more impressive than your outbox, you know? And if you look at all of it, you get none of it done. But if you can just zero in and be like, all right, let me get this thing done and accomplished. I'm going to burn through that, move on to the next one. Lo and behold, after a little bit of time, you'll kind of get stuff done. I, I actually wish true senior leaders, like, you know, presidents, senior, senior executives could do this. I mean, if you told me I got to run the country tomorrow, like I was voted into the seat at, at the White House tomorrow, I'd probably just be like, I'm gonna do one thing. I'm gonna get one thing done in four years, but I'm gonna get that one done. Like, I don't care what comes to pass. I'm fixing healthcare. I'm fixing, you know, name the name the program. I'm like, I'm gonna do that. I'm sure I need to take meetings and others and fires are gonna come up, but I'm gonna get that one thing accomplished. 
And uh, I'd hang my hat on that. Because I think I think people try and do 15 things, they get nothing done. If you try and get one thing done, you'll get it done. Yeah, and you kind of played right into my, my next question. I have written down leadership, underline and start on my paper. Because, you know, I think the... A lot of times, especially with military folks, as they transition, I, I think they undervalue just the ability to lead and right. and the, the skill set that's there because it's not um, it's not necessarily like an IT skill. It's yep. it's it's much more. You can't grab it. You can't quantify it necessarily. So, if you could talk a little bit about just what's your experience or what, what why this is so important to you and why it's such a focus this this leadership thing to you. Yeah, I mean, look, if you you. If you go to everything from a barbecue to a wedding, a funeral, uh, you know, any event, if it went well, somebody was in charge of it that made it go well. It, it almost certainly didn't just happen by happenstance. Somebody had a plan, had a mission, had a vision, and knew how to curate that and guide it through to success. And so I, I think leadership is sort of where it all start, starts and ends, you know, I mean, you certainly see in the military, it's like you, when you work for good leaders, life is good. When you look, work for that nightmare leader, it's, it's just a brutal period, period of time. You got to put your head down and, and grind through it. Um, you touched on something that's super near and dear to my heart in that I do get a lot of buddies, um, particularly special operator, operators that are transitioning and like, boss, I don't know what to do. You know, I mean, I'm a sniper, a breacher, a comms guy. I mean, I know all these skills on how to take somebody's life or wage war, but that doesn't translate at this new business I'm going to. And I, I always tell them, like, you're, you're looking at it the wrong way. Yes, you can do all those individual things. And look, if you want to keep shooting, go to the hostage rescue team or a SWAT team and go do that. If you're looking to transition to civilian life, what you actually have is unbelievable discipline and focus, an understanding of rank structure, both up and down the chain of command. You understand how to set to a task and finish it through. You don't know how to punch a time clock. You're you know, a learning supercomputer because all you've done for all your time in the military is learn a new system, a new piece of gear, a new you know, manual that you got to go through. Um, there's not an organization on earth that's not looking for that. You got to highlight that stuff. And then you need to be able to apply that. So, um, you you nailed it, man. I mean, everybody in the military is a leader. And and, and even if they don't think they are, they are because they're used to it. They've been used to, hey, in, in the absence of orders, I need to take 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 charge and carry out the plan, you know, and, and even the most junior person, sometimes if they're not ready for it, they'll usually step up the plate and get it done. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. It's good stuff, dude. Um I think uh, we could probably continue to have stories uh, about, uh, you know, all the stuff that you talk about in your commander's coffee and, and, and your, uh, I mean, guys and gals, like go, go find Rourke, talk to him. And if you need someone to like fire you up, get Rourke to come fire you up. I appreciate um, it. Yeah, man. Um, and, and check out his books. And we didn't even talk about this. I mean, you kind of hit on just a little bit, you know, the, the act of valor movie, yeah. um, you know, American grit, like all the stuff that you've done, man, it's, it's, uh, it's been impressive. I appreciate um, it. Appreciate and, it. I feel uh, lucky, lucky to have been a part of it. Yeah, dude. So, Hey, I, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, you know, I've, I've learned a ton um, from just like hanging out with you, like you coming in and grabbing coffee and, and, and just, you know, talk, talking shop and, and hanging out. And um, I hope it, to continue to do that with you. And, um, yeah, this, this has been fun. No, I appreciate it. It's a great conversation and it's always good to talk to teammates above and beyond just people that want to interview me. So I love it. I love it. Yeah. Dave, you got any words yeah. of wisdom? I mean, do you, can yeah, you, no, no, no words. Of, 
no words of wisdom because I typically bring a bring the wisdom down. But um, I, I do want to thank you, Rourke. Uh, just one, making yourself available, coming to talk to a couple of knuckleheads like us, especially the fact that you know Stu from before. The fact that you Good agreed to, yes. to even come on the show is amazing. But but I also want to thank you for your influence. I want to thank you for your heart, your desire to uh, just create meaningful content to to pour yourself into others. It's very clear um, that your passion to grow. To, to grow other people. And, and, and I think that um, all the actions that you take and, and the wisdom that you, that you drop is, it's just a testament to your character, but it's also your influence. And, and I just want to let you know that I'm extremely grateful for uh, just for you doing that. And I think it's awesome. Thank There's a huge value you add. And, and I pray that all our listeners go to your site and get some of that. No, I appreciate it, brother, sincerely. And I, I'm glad you guys are doing this. I, I think, I think this format, these kind of longer conversations are, are, um, you know, sort of the best media out there. I mean, I don't even listen to the radio anymore. It's podcasts and these conversations, you know, just as it's fascinating to hear people unpack their experiences and their, you know, their knowledge and um, even subjects that I think I have no interest in. I find myself two hours later on, you know, Rogan or something like that. And I'm like, this is unbelievable. Why am I so like fascinated in this sleep study or this astrophysicist that I have no business, you know, learning from, but um, no, I love these platforms. I enjoy the conversation and uh, yeah, we'll do it again. For sure, man. Next time we'll have to do it in person and go like mountain biking or fishing or something. We're going to be retired pretty soon. So we're going to have a lot of time on our hands. Oh man. Get ready for the gray beard. Yeah, that's right. I can't grow anything. So (laughs) it's kind of what it is. Well, guys and gals go, uh, go check out work Denver. Best, best ways work Denver.com. Correct. Yeah. That's the, that's the best shop to find me at. Yep. Okay, cool, man. And, uh, and, and sign up for the uh, commander's coffee, get words of wisdom every month. It's pretty awesome. Um, And uh, Hey, share this episode. Um, You know, reach out, tell your network about this and, um, and Hey, give us some reviews. We'd love to see your reviews on this podcast. We'd really appreciate it. But most importantly, go fill your storehouse. Make it a great day, friends. Thank you so much. Thanks Rourke. Thanks Rourke. Thank you. See ya. Thanks for listening to filling the storehouse. If you enjoyed our show, please subscribe and share it with someone you love. And if you really felt inspired, leave a five-star review so we could continue to grow and help other Christian entrepreneurs fill their storehouse. If you're interested in creating financial freedom through real estate investing, be sure to check out our website at storehouse310turnkey.com. We'd love to serve you through our platform of building the kingdom. Just click on the contact link and we'll reply to you as soon as we can. Again, thanks so much for listening. Now go for your storehouse and make it a great day.